Father, we just thank you for family. We thank you for new babies. We thank you for new babies to come this week. Quickly, speedily, painlessly. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, hopefully just one. Uh, Jesus, we... Oh, yeah. Jesus, we just thank you for families. We thank you that we get to come together on Sundays to celebrate together. We thank you that you love talking to us and that you are always talking. We thank you for the church, Lord. We pray for the church today. Wherever they are meeting, over a table, in a building, in a house, that you will be with them. And that today your people will hear your voice and they will turn back to your heart. Amen. Before I start, I just reminded myself. Um, I put a notice up on Facebook this week regarding buying presents for people in the Yarra Valley community. Um, I have a notice up. It's quite clear and descriptive of what you can get and what to do. I'm just reminding you that next week, bring your goodies along, unwrapped, because then we know how to delegate them appropriately. It's a way that uh, for us and our family, our immediate family, we take the kids out and we let them know who we're shopping for and then we let the kids choose what they're going to get and they contribute with their money as well. So it's a fun thing to do as a family to help your kids to look outside just what they want. But there's other people out there too. Okay? So next Sunday we're going to do great collection. Okay. I'm going to tell you a story about a man, a farm boy actually, not my farm boy, a different farm boy. You're a good farm boy. Uh, A farm boy, a country kid, a guy that grew up as a part of a small tribe, a guy that was good. He was tall. He was good looking. He was quite startling to the eye. He was a good man. He, he farmed well, he was obedient to his father, and he enjoyed what he did. Uh, he was liked by everybody. He stood out, head and shoulders above his brothers. He was Saul. He was a man that got called to be king by losing his donkeys. He got called by Samuel, who had looked over the land for many, many years. He was called and he was baptised by the Holy Spirit. He was out and he prophesied. He was a strong man, but he wasn't very courageous. He was from God's family. He had a great lineage. He was, in his lineage was Abraham, Jacob and Moses. Saul took a group of people from being multiple tribes to being united. Saul was a king that raised an army out of nothing. He was a king where the Holy Spirit sat on him. Saul took a nation of people and welded them together to become united. He created an army out of thin air, never seen before. He won battles. He won battles that seemed impossible, but he won them with the power of God. He defeated enemies 
again and again and again. He had few men but got a lot done in the beginning and then grew in number. He was a prophet. He had the Spirit come upon him with power and authority. He became the king that the people asked for. In 1 Samuel uh, 8, there comes this moment in time where Samuel has looked after the Israelites well. He's stewarded what God has wanted him to say well. He was a good prophet. He loved beautifully. And the Israelites had just overcome the Philistines. Again and again, they battled and battled. And God would fight for the Israelites. He would fight against the bullies. He would fight against people that would pull the right eyeball out. He would, God would fight for his people. He fed them day and night. They were never without. God would overcome enemies that seemed like they were impossible. All through the word of what Samuel would bring to the Israelites of what to do. God was strategic in how he told the, the Israelites to fight. God was close to them. This is the God of the fire by night and the cloud by day. And then one day Samuel's kids, his sons grew older. And Samuel's kids did not go in the same ways of Samuel. They liked to take a bit of food. They liked to take money. They basically misused their father's position. And the Israelites started to grumble and complain because as they looked around and compared themselves to other nations, they saw that they were missing out on something in their mind. They saw that other nations had kings and they wanted one because it looked good. They wanted one because the other nations had it. You know, my, my uh, great auntie, she was a dressmaker and she used to go into the city every day from Coldstream to Spencer Street and then work on Spencer Street in this little place in one of the big buildings. And she would make clothes. And when I was little, I thought it was the best job ever because she would make me dresses. And as a little girl, I hated when dresses came over your head. I liked to step into my gowns appropriately. And so she would make me clothes that I could step into. And she would make the most beautiful clothes. But she, in her wardrobe, when you opened her wardrobe up, would have three dresses. Two for the week, which were her work dresses, and one for Sunday, which was her Sunday dress. And her Sunday dress was the same dress every Sunday. So it'd be like, you come to church, I'm in this. You come to church next Sunday, I'm in this. You come to church Sunday after, I'm in this. This is my Sunday outfit. That's what I wore. And I would go into her dressmaking studio and she would have the most magnificent outfits. And I'd say, who's this for? Because it looked like the Queen's outfit. She said, oh, this is for lady such and such. I'm like, a lady? No, she's like, no, she's an older lady and she's called lady because of da-da-da-da-da. And I'm like, well, where are the young girls? She goes, the young girls don't come anymore. And I said, why? She said, well, they don't want something of quality. They just want what they want straight away. And then when they don't want it anymore, they throw it out and go get another one. I'm like, oh. And it's 
no different to the Israelites. They had a God that defended them. They had a God that looked over them. But when they looked upon the other nations, they saw something that they liked a bit better. Something that looked a bit more glamorous because you could see it with your eye. You could see the glamour of a king. You could see this regal person. And they wanted it. They wanted something that they could go to and dispense from. Instead of having to come to a God that knew them, that defended them, that looked after them and never changed, never wore out. Never wore out. You know, they said, give us a king to rule over us. And Samuel was crushed. How awful, the message says. The message says that Samuel says, how awful. He was crushed. He felt rejected. He felt like he'd been cast aside, like he was the old thing and they wanted the new fancy thing. And God answered him and said, go ahead and do what they're asking. They are not rejecting you. They've rejected me as their king. From the day I brought them out of Egypt until this very day, they've been behaving like this, leaving me for other gods. And now they're doing it to you. But warn them of what they are in for. Tell them the ways the kings operate, just what they are likely to get from a king. So these Israelites have gathered and band together. Now, this is thousands of people. This isn't just like us coming here and you going, well, we would like a new king. Okay, so um, bring him out so we can select him. No, this is like thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of people in uproar. Yelling at Samuel, your sons aren't good enough. You're looking a little shabby these days. And we'd like a new fancy shiny one, please. That's what they're saying. And God being God says, well, you tell them what choice they're making. So he goes in and he says, you know, your sons are going to become slaves. Your daughters are going to become maidservants. Your men are going to become soldiers of his army. You're going to have to work in his fields and not in your own. God lays out, okay, if you make this choice, this is what's going to happen to you. And they say, no, we want a king. We want a king. You know, Saul had everything. He had the looks. He stood head and shoulder above the rest. He was shining, sparkly. He was good looking. He had everything. He, had, he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. He was able to do the impossible. He was a leader chosen by God with power from God. He was like a leader that God put the glove on, like they talk about in Gideon. He was also the guy that hid behind the, out the back in the storage room. He was the guy that the people chose. It's not that God didn't want a king. It's not that God didn't want a king. It just wasn't God's timing for that king and the motive for the king was wrong. 
And when you choose a king out of a wrong motive, you see it in the Bible over and over again. It never really works out. Jesus was the king. God was their king. And yet they wanted something that they could look at, something that they could physically go to, someone that they could blame, someone that they could expect something from. They wanted someone that they could see with their physical eyes, not have to have faith in, to believe in, not have to remember what he'd done or the promises that he'd do, but just depend upon instruction of what a king would say. You know, Saul was not only powerful, but he was fiercely jealous. He was given authority that was God's. But he was also eaten by jealousy and filled with self-importance. He was willing to live in spiritual darkness to have self-gratification straight away. He struggled to trust God and so he would always take matters into his own hands. You know, it's not that much different today. You go, yeah, we don't have a king in Australia. No, but in the church we make kings. The church is beginning or has always created kings within the church. They have worshipped personalities. They worship pastors. They worship podcasts. They worship speakers. They worship people. Do you know why they worship people? Because it means they don't have to do much themselves. When you have a king that isn't Jesus, you begin to go to that king instead of going to Jesus. And what happens is you begin to have expectations upon that king. And then you start to worship that king instead of Jesus. You start saying, Nicole said, instead of Jesus said. You start saying, Adrian said, instead of Jesus said. You throw the heavyweights' names around because you have placed them as a heavyweight in your life over God. What happens is you begin to worship a person instead of God. Because then you don't actually have to take responsibility yourself. Well, they didn't tell me to do that. Well, you have a mouth and, and, and a brain and a heart and some legs and some hands and some organs inside that thing. And you have some knees to get down on and pray. Too many people are choosing to place people in roles in the church as God. And they are now expecting people to take responsibility for their relationship with Jesus. What we have created is a bunch of Sunday doll bludgers. I understand it again. We have created a bunch of Sunday doll bludgers. I'm serious. We come on Sunday to get our fix. And we wonder by Wednesday 
why our home group leader hasn't called us and wiped our backside yet? Or why on Thursday my home group leader doesn't know by just, you know, waking up in the morning that I'm sad and hasn't come over and given me a tissue yet? And then by Friday... You wonder why your home group leader hasn't taught you how to raise your children better. And then by Saturday, man, you got half the hair by Saturday. By Saturday, you're wondering why your wife hasn't been called up by the pastor so that she's fixed, so that she's nice to live with. It's funny, but it's true. We are raising a culture of Sunday dole bludgers where they bludge off the kings of today. We will listen to podcasts like they're serial. But are you listening to God? We're so quick to pick our phone up and listen to a podcast from an American because we think that they know God better than us. God is your God. And you are his people. People, stop picking the podcast up and start picking your Bible up. Stop putting the phone down and being entertained by the jokes and the funny bits and the stories and start making your own stories. We've come to this place where we worship and idolatize personality. I love them. I love podcasts. I love learning. I love listening. I love a good laugh. But we're worshipping places like Bethel above Jesus. We're worshipping conferences above Jesus. We are creating souls that are all around the world. Do you know what a king is? Do you know who your king is? Saul, did Saul know the thousands and millions of people individually and personally? No. He was too busy throwing spears. Did did David ever have to demand submission of his mighty men? Not once. But Saul had to throw spears to get people to feel fear so that they act in submission. When you follow a king that knows you intimately, submission is not a disciplinary word. Submission is a relationship word. You know, when we worship as a church, personalities, pastors, leaders, home group leaders, um... You name it. When you worship them, it almost takes the responsibility off your own shoulders. We have a society that knows about Jesus, knows other people's stories about Jesus, but is not being transformed inwardly by Jesus. We have a group of people 
that place responsibility upon other people and not ourselves. Well, my marriage just failed because they didn't offer a marriage course this month. I'm serious, guys. I'm not doing so well because home groups aren't great at the moment and I don't really like them. So I'm just not going to go anymore. Home group isn't the way I'd like it to be, so I'm not going to go. Or Sunday church just, you know, they do a bit too much. And I can't do that. So, you know, I'm not going to worship. I'm going to sit down. And you know scones? Dude, scones, clag your mouth. I'm only going to come on sausage week. I like scones. Is it? Oh, that's awesome. I'll come to church if they add jam and cream to the scones. It won't clog my mouth as much. You know, and they made church 9.30, then they changed it to 10 o'clock. Well, you know, they can't make up their minds, so I'm just not going to come. And you know the kids' church? Man, dang. A lot of kids out there don't know if they'll get the personal attention they need. And there's not enough, um, you know, uh, not enough show bags available for them. And they're really not teaching my children how to uh, be disciplined. Because really that is the Sunday school's responsibility to parent my children. Hey guys, these are funny, but in your head you've all said one of them somewhere along the line. You know, if you see a problem, you know the king. You ask the king how to change the problem. If you see a problem in the church, why do you wait passively at home, moaning and groaning, instead of actually asking the king how to change your family and how to be a representative of God? I had a lemon tree in my backyard. I no longer have it. I cut it down. I quite enjoy cutting down trees. Because it bared no fruit no more. It got the chop. If it bears no fruit in Nicole's garden, it gets the axe. I'm not quite as sympathetic as some gardeners that say, maybe I'll give it one more year. I go, no, you're done. Mm -mm -mm -mm. And then I get AIDS of the lax and I pretend to be a woodcutter. Does take me about two hours to cut about this thick down, but I feel powerful with my axe and I cut it down because it bears no fruit. We are so busy looking 
at other people's fruit trees that we think that their fruit is our fruit. We are so busy looking at other people's fruit trees that we're eating their fruit salad and not our own. You know, if you don't feed a fruit tree, you get no fruit. God has actually created these amazing cycles in life called if you feed it, it feeds you. If you feed the dirt, it grows grass. Amazing. You didn't know that, did you? (laughs) And then what happens is if you feed the grass, it grows. Blowing your marbles. And then as the grass grows, my cows can come and eat the grass. And then as the cow grows, the chop-chop comes. I could do that too. But I enjoy both products. It's good for my body. And then what happens is after I'm thankful for the food that I ate and the butcher has come, what is left of the cow I give back to the ground. It is dug my, we dig a hole, the remains go in and it produces fertiliser all over again. Does that make sense? It's a very basic life cycle. It's not far different from yours. If you are the tree, if you do not feed it, you will not grow fruit. But let's say you feed your tree. You feed it by hanging out with the king, at the king's feet, listening to how he wants you to prune it, listening to how... He wants you to stake one arm so it goes to the left now. So that it can hold how heavy that fruit is going to be. And then he says, you've grown fruit. Now I want you to feed that fruit to your babes. And then in feeding your children with the stories of who God is in your life, they also will grow faith of how to grow their tree. And then they learn how important it is to know the king. And then they long to feed their tree and grow it. And then they produce fruit. And it goes on and on and on. So many people complain to me about the next generation But I want to turn around and say to them, so what responsibility are you taking in that? If you don't feed the next generation, there's going to be no fruit. It's like kids' church. I'm going there. Hear that? (laughs) Does that sound like fun to you? 
yeah. That guy out there that leads that kids' church at the moment with Tanya, he has not been in church this term. Do you know why? Because he submitted to God. I didn't have to tell him. I didn't even have to convince him. I didn't even have to give him an idea. He said, Jesus has asked me to go in. And I'll be in there until God says to come out. And I'm going to love those kids. And I'm going to pour into them. And I'm going to give to them all that I have. Because God's asked me to. Tanya, exactly the same. We have over 80, we have over 80 kids. As a teacher, I like about 24. And he is out there. Do you know what? When I see him on Wednesday, he's the most fed person I've ever met out of this church. He doesn't come in here on Sunday because he knows the king. And he feeds off the king. He never looks tired. He's like the ever-ready bunny. He's A to Z, man, like he does hit the wall. But he's growing big fruit, man. And some of it's your kid's fruit. Because he says, I'm here for the kids. I'm not here for the glory. I'm not here for the money. And I'm not here for the girls and the guys. I'm here for Jesus. Many people pray for power. You know, Lord, give me all the power. Give me all the authority. Give me all the might. I want it all. Do you know why they want it all? Because they think that if they get it, it will be the quick short-term fix to their relationship with God. And it's the greatest destruction that you can have in your relationship. They see it as a place that if they get it, they will be able to change kingdoms, they'll be able to raise up armies, and they'll be able to prophesy in power and eloquence, just as Saul did. They may even get to prophesy naked, like Saul. But they will also be the people that throw spears when people come and question their authority. And when God starts to raise someone up next to them that may appear more powerful than them, that may appear more patient than them, and may appear more faithful, their response is to try and murder them. And as they sit on their throne in their position, they plot to kill. And as they sit there with all their power and all their might, They think about ways in which they can throw spears better so that it hits the target. That's what happens when you worship position because the position becomes the most important thing in your life. The throne became Saul's most important thing in his life. David, on the other hand, lived a life of submission, not lording over people with his authority. David, David learnt to lose well. 
meaning he learned to duck and weave those spears. He was not reactional. He was patient. He didn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. He knew submission to who God had placed on the throne. David never feared being dethroned. It was his greatest strength. So when Absalom rose up, quietly Absalom rose up at the gates, listening to people's complaints and gathering people around him, you know, I don't really like the way he does that. How about we start our own group? It's not that he said anything wrong. It's what he didn't say. Absalom didn't honour the king. He lent a soft ear to the complaints. He didn't offer that they go to the king together and seek wisdom from the king. Absalom, on one hand, quietly threw his own father off the throne. But his father said, if it is the Lord's will for another king, then I will be the first to walk away. Because his identity was not placed in the throne, but in the God that he met as a shepherd boy. The God he met when he wrestled a bear. The God he met in the caves with the men that were insane. The God that he met when all his people turned on him to kill him. That was his God. And he didn't care for position. He cared for his King Jesus. You know, people that crave for position and authority are the ones that talk about it the most. They talk about how amazing they are. They talk about they talk about how good God is all the time in them. And what how amazing and wonderful it is what my ministry is doing. Let me give you a lesson because I know everything. They're the people that want people to worship them instead of Jesus. They want to become the golden calf. They want to become the personality that is idolised. Pick a king that knows you instead of them needing to tell you about them. David was never afraid of challenges. He had no defences and he cared not one bit for position. He was the most patient of all the characters in all the Bible. David was quick to give instead of take. David lived a life, a submission, because he was in love with the king he was submitted to. 
even when David made mistakes. He still knew where to come, back to the king's feet, back to God's feet. We have come to a place of idolizing and worshiping personality in the church. We've come to a place of expecting our pastors and our leaders to parent us. Because then we don't have to take responsibility. Do you want to be people like Saul or like David? Do you want to be the king or do you want to know the king? Do you want to worship entertainment or do you want to worship and come into the throne room? Do you want to grow big fruit or do you want to be a tree that looks good, that has nothing and grows nothing for the future? Unfortunately, as a society, we've lacked fathers. So we think that pastors and we think that podcasts will become our father. Because we can listen to an audio. We've put books in the place of knowing our real father. We've put people in the place of our king. We have cried out. We are still crying out as a nation to be entertained. But let's be a people that know our king. Let's get to know the king. He wants to know you. He wants to be with you. He wants to transform you. He wants to love you. He wants to bring revelation to you. Stop expecting of people and start getting under the king. Start being the change instead of complaining about it. Start getting under the people that are around you and supporting them in coming closer to the King. Start asking Jesus, Jesus, give me a new way. Give me encouragement for my home group leader. Because then out of their fruit, you get fruit. It's really quite basic. A plus B equals C. You hang out with the king. You bear fruit. You give some fruit to your leader. The leader gets some more fruit. They go a bit more fruit salad. And then it's more fun. 
I mean it. Your husbands, stop wanting them to be you and start letting them be them and get under them and say, Lord, how can I fertilise his tree so that we get some great peaches? Lord, how can I best love him so that he flourishes, so that my whole family flourishes, so that my family flourishes, so that they get fathered, so that they're the one out of a quadrillion families that have a dad. How do I get under my wife? How do I lay down my life so I become blood and bone to the ground that her tree is planted in? How do I, Lord, how do I make this about me loving them instead of me getting everything I want now? How do I make my family grow? Get to know the King. Know Him. And then lay down your life for Him. And let the fertiliser grow hard in your family. How do I love the little trees in my family? I go, Lord, help me not to kill them today. Nah, I don't want to kill one. I like him. I go, Lord, when I look at Jamo in particular at the moment, I go, Lord, show me how to teach him how to love a woman and value a lady above what society says to value a lady for. And I look at him and what I feed him at the moment, I know it will reap fruit. But I have to stop being busy and actually have a conversation with him. Put this thing down. This is an idolatry thing. We're so quick to flick a button. But how quick are you to have a coffee with your kid? My dad spent 20 minutes with me every Monday. I would sit out the front of 7-Eleven and I would drink the biggest sugar hit there possibly was and we would sit in the car me in the front seat passenger seat and him in the driver's seat and he would just talk to me and I would just talk to him and then the next Monday would come and we'd do it again and then the next Monday would come and we would do it again I've always known I'm loved by my father because my dad showed me. Are you going to model that to your kids? You are the blueprint of what your kids will become. Don't blame other people. Take responsibility for yourself. Hello, Sir Isaac. Okay, I'm going to get you to stand up. I am sorry, Rodney.
Well, can I get you to go out and tell Rod I'm running a little bit late? Oh, no, Laura. Are you going to tell him I'm late? Okay. Could you tell him I'm late? I want you to close your eyes. You know, it's quick to say, we're quick to go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a great word, Nicole, great word, great word. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't want you to take a mm-hmm. I want you to take a uh-huh. And uh-huh means I'm changing my life from this day forward. With where God has positioned me at the moment, Every time I walk away from this place, I go, Lord, I don't want to be entertainment. I want people to change because of you, not me. And I don't want this to be a dull bludgers church. I want to be powerful people that become more powerful than the world has seen before because they're in relationship with Jesus. With your eyes closed, I want you to ask Jesus, Jesus, who have I been idolizing? Jesus, who have I given responsibility of my life to? Instead of owning my life for me and knowing that I have a great king to go to. this would look like in your life is that you have expectations that you've put upon other people to meet. The words that you would have would be, um, why aren't they doing this for me? Because you're going to them as a king instead of going to God. So why are they not meeting with me? Why are they not fixing me? Why are they not booking me in? Why are they not doing what I want them to do? Why are they not seeing me? Because 
because you are expecting them to be God and know everything when they only know what you tell them. Some of you are also trying to be a king. you come on down because it's a long way to fall from up on that pedestal and I want to help you out because it's far more fun on the ground than on a rock or a pedestal